you got the video perfection going on in in studio and i'm i look like i'm in my grandmother's house <laughs> are you even trying What's <laughs> <laughs> I just got back from the beach, so I'm glad you, glad you said you went through your hair. Ah, so you're winning. That's, uh, that's good yeah, stuff, man. We're leaving tomorrow for a uh, long ministry trip. So. Are you going to kick it with uh, Zach Wexler? I am. We're going to, well, nice. one meeting. Nice. Yeah, that'll be yeah. sweet. I had him speak a couple of times at School of Kingdom. but That's awesome. Where's the School of Kingdom at? It's online. Okay. Okay, but you're based out of where? In Texas, Amarillo. Hi, Amarillo. Have, we, have we ever been in the same room before? Forgive me if I don't remember this, but no, I don't think so, man. Uh, we have like tons of mutual friends, and everybody's always uh bringing you up, man. But I know I hear your name actually all the got time. To yet. I hear I heard your name just a couple of nights ago, and I was like, That's it. I'm contacting <laughs> Dub. We're gonna get we're gonna... enough. <laughs> I've had enough of this. I want to, I want to visit with this guy in person, <laughs> yeah. Glad you did, man. Um, yeah, I was so, planning on connecting with y'all out there in Scotland, and then uh, yeah, McJack that one up. But well, we're gonna do it again next year. So we get another shot. So in April. So that'll be fun. It'll be good. Yeah, it's it really those those events are are just a good reason for Jim and Mary and Tracy and I to hang out. Nice. So, yeah, I think it was Jim told me some time ago. You, you got to go get together with Dub. I went. Uh, I I know I know Dub. And he goes, how? And I go, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm in a dream or a vision, or he came to me cloaked by night. Third heaven. In third, third heaven, heaven experience. Encounter. Seventh heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's probably been like uh, two or three years I've watched just your stuff pop up everywhere. And you and uh, a guy I, I met years ago in San Antonio, Ryan. Ryan Pena. Uh, Ryan Pena, uh, I preached at his church a long, long time ago. Yeah. And uh, and I am so stoked to where he is because he invited me to uh, to come down. I think he'd heard something, some finished work message or whatever, where I kind of pushed the envelope a little bit, and he seemed to be curious. And yeah. I thought, man, this could go one of two ways because it always <laughs> does. You know, it's like Facts. it's like I'm, I was, I'm always really – really trying to be sensitive to go, you know, how do I just tap the rudder on this ship without just capsizing the whole thing? I don't, I really have a heart for pastors. I don't want to do that to anybody's church. So yeah. walking into, walking into his place, I could see that he was cared so deeply for these people. And I don't know what happened. I felt like I got up there and just gave both barrels on the, on the, the goodness, the grace of God, the finished work of the cross. There's no distance, no separation. I got done and I thought, Oh my goodness. I think I went over the edge. And he just had his eyes wide. I remember looking at me going, that was amazing. And I went, hmm, okay. Well, if you still have a church in six months, we'll we'll keep talking. And he did. It was great. I loved it. So next thing I know, he's hanging out with you a ton. And I'm going, oh, yeah. So I love just, I haven't talked to him in ages, but I love the journey that he's on. What a cool thing. Yeah, man, he's killing it for sure. We really uh, hit it off, met. We had heard about each other for a couple of years and then, he actually, he came to a, a conference in Vacaville. He thought Dano was speaking, but I was the speaker for it. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of a bait and switch, I guess. But uh, <laughs> we just hit it off, man. It come to ridiculously similar conclusions down to 
tons of levels of nuances and theology and wow had like wordsmith some of the same exact phrases and i was just like man this is crazy and so uh school of kingdom had grown to the point that like i needed to hire staff you know for the expansion and i was just like man this is crazy this guy like he uses the same language we have the same theology like to this day so far like we were like have come to the same conclusions on all sorts of stuff and so hey, listen, and he's I a think great god, teacher so i think god is i think god is pulling is pulling on people i, mean, I was thinking about this the other day i was talking with a friend you know nick padovani you heard that no. name it's a young pastor who's been pastoring about 10 years but he's got a super solid church called the almond branch in uh west milford new jersey full-on kingdom finished work church it's it's super cool guy one of the best writers, I think, young young writers out there. I was sitting down with him, and I, I just all of a sudden, certain faces passed through my mind: yours and Ryan and Zach, uh, John Matthews, and at the gate in Charlotte, North Carolina, a guy named Caleb Lay at Kingdom Life Church in um, Salisbury, Indiana. Caleb Hires, you familiar with Caleb down at the resting place in Tampa? Yeah, great, great teacher. Just planted his seventh church down there. Um, wow. Just thinking about all these guys, and it came uh, Ivan Roman out of Medford, yeah. Oregon, dear friend, good brother, was just out of his place. You know, people who are speaking the same language, you know, and talking the same theology, but are feeling like, are we the only ones doing this out here? And realizing, right. you know, that God is really raising up a, uh, what, what I've been calling lately is it's a it, it, new covenant, of course, but I've given it the name the Christic covenant, because whenever we think new covenant, nice. we think, I'm just kind of going back to the first four centuries of Christianity, but. Whenever we think we new covenant, we think of something we have to. I, I I'm convinced that subconsciously we think of something that we have to maintain and that we have to do. But every covenant, you know, down through the ages, has been made. Uh, uh, that's been made with a man has been named after the man that the covenant was made with. So when you think of the new covenant, rather than you think of God making the new covenant with us, so that I have to keep my end of the bargain. You know, we realize the new covenant is made between God the Father and God the Son. And we're in Christ. And so, you know, we didn't make it. We can't break it. We've been brought in by his doing. And so that, that kind of thing. So I've been calling the new covenant, the Christic covenant for that reason, because it's the covenant of Christ. And everywhere I go and I hear this new covenant language, I, I'm, I'm starting to recognize the rarity of it. It's not, yeah. it's not yet the overall norm 2000 years after the cross to have both feet in the new, in the new covenant. Yeah. So, but I hear it so beautifully every time you post anything. So <laughs> that's why I wanted to have this conversation today. So, Thanks. so Dub, just kind of in a nutshell, tell me your story. Like, share with with my audience your story because I'm so stoked to introduce new covenant voices uh, as they're as they're emerging. Yeah. Well. It's a crazy story. I'll give you the snapshot of it. So uh, I'm number five out of 10. I was uh, born to a couple of ex Your church or your family? Are you serious? Family, yeah. Come on. <laughs> My parents were uh, ex-hippies who were atheists at the time that I was born. Just really anti-anything normal. So, uh, you know, anti-government, anti-organized uh, healthcare, anti-education. You know, so we were just like really secluded uh, grew up in uh, South Oak Cliff, which is inner city Dallas. We were the only white family. I went to Christ so, Nations. I know exactly where you were. Uh, Did you yes. ever shop? Did you? I don't even know if it was there when you were growing up. Did you ever shop at the Big T Bazaar? Oh, yeah. 
where all the where all the the wannabe rappers went to get their their swag, their gear. Their it's threads. still there, man. Is it yeah. really? It is, yeah. Man, I I got some shirts from there, long tail t shirts that went out of style for about ten years. Now they're all back. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I digress. So go ahead. <laughs> you know exactly where I'm from. So if you can imagine a large antisocial, strange uh, homeschool family, right? White family. They're in uh, South Oak Cliff. All I want to do is rap and play basketball. The uh, cards are stacked against me, as you can see <laughs> in uh, both areas. But uh, when I was about 11, my parents got introduced by another large ill-adjusted homeschooled family to a cult down in Waco called, uh, at the time, Koinonia Christian Fellowship. They change their name every time they get in trouble with the law. They're called Heritage Homestead now. But it's kind of like an Amish-ish type cult. They're trying to make ankles sexy again, you know. So yeah, yeah. Long dresses, the bumps and the buns, the whole thing. And so uh him and Hellavision, my dad used to call it the 4-H Club. Right. The holiness movement. They only lacked holiness and movement. Otherwise, they had everything. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. Facts. I, so I, I'm uh, picturing you in a campfire with the Duggar family. Bro, yes, the Duggarites. Oh my Gothardites, right? Gothardites, dude. Gothardites. I was at a wedding one time sitting right across at, at the reception when it was all said and done, right across the table from Bill Gothard. And right in the middle of talking to me, he fell asleep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, <laughs> and awesome. I thought it was just because he's old, but his assistant explained to me that he had narcolepsy and he was like, that's why they couldn't let him preach, teach, you know, do, do live stuff anymore because he'd be up and talking and all of a sudden he'd just like fall asleep. Oh man. He's standing there. It was like, yeah. anyway. Well, his teaching had that effect on me sometimes, so it makes sense. It must have been more of an impartational thing. So, uh, but so uh, we start going down there on the weekends. Uh, you're only allowed to go on Sunday mornings if you're a covenant member, which is mm -hmm. first sign it's a cult, right? But uh, we would go down there on the weekends, and so I'm we're still living in Oak Cliff. I just want to wrap up play basketball. Now I'm picking up sweet potatoes behind a horse or throwing hay bales to Josiah hating my life, man. It was like weird Al Yankovic Amish paradise. I was, was going like, to say, I'm just, that's going through my head right now as I walk through a field where I harvest my grain. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Right. And so super weird. Now my, my mom, my sisters are all dressing all weird. The neighborhood kids start calling us the little house on the prairie house. It's like super awkward and strange. <laughs> Uh, we go down there for two years, and then uh, I guess my dad has some sort of falling out. We get excommunicated. My dad uh, rounds up a bunch of others that got excommunicated, starts his own cult. So my dad's a cult leader. Usually don't lead with that, but... Uh, wow. So, yeah. It's still even today? I think so. So I run away from home uh, when I'm 16, legally emancipate myself, get excommunicated from that cult. Uh, and then I get taken in by a couple of uh, youth pastors. They were going to Dallas Baptist University at the time down there from oh, Amarillo. Man. They become my family, like my daughter's named after, Cinda Urquhart. And uh, so Mark and Cinda, they adopt me. That's how I end up back in Amarillo. And then kind of followed the, so it went from like atheism to like Amish-ish, real legalistic stuff to uh, Baptist, and then kind of the normal progression that you see, kind of like non-denominational, like charismatic, until uh, 11 years ago, started getting around some healthy prophetic. <clears throat> Holy Spirit started waking me up every morning, just asking, what is the kingdom? Mm. I was like, I don't know. Like, they didn't talk about that in Bible college. 
And so uh, that set me on a pursuit, found Miles Monroe's Rediscovering the Kingdom book 11 oh, years ago, goodness. revolutionized my uh, initial theology. And then uh, from there, I would say, once you catch the kingdom revelation, but if you don't have, you know, finished work, uh, I would call it righteousness, consciousness, then you'll, you'll operate knowing you have the revelation of the kingdom, but you'll constantly disqualify yourself from being able to be a part of it because you have a sin consciousness. So kind of getting grace, righteousness, consciousness established. And then uh, he really started to drill down on my theology and, uh, you know, uh, I call it killing angry dad theology, mm -hmm. getting rid of penal substitutionary atonement theory, which was the only theory we were taught in Bible college, you know, and. Yeah, and, it's uh, the only theory we we're actually allowed to have in the West. Right. Yeah. Terrific. But uh, kind of catching, catching, you know, I, I heard that phrase, this is a few years ago, and this was probably the most disruptive thing to all of my theology was that the Trinity is is co-eternal, co-existent, and consubstantial. Mm. And when I realized I either had to agree with Jesus that Father was exactly like him, or I had to believe that Jesus went to the cross to change Father's nature. Yeah. And I was like, oh no, this is this is bad news for everything I believe because I'm gonna have to re-go through everything and rebuild it from that. But I chose to. And so I'm a big uh, consubstantiality guy, uh, same nature, essence, substance, all those right. things. And so I call it, you know, Got a good father theology on the wall. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, good right father theology. You. And then uh, the language Ryan and I use is that the, the frames of the glasses is Trinitarian faith and that the two lenses are the kingdom and and his righteousness right which would be I, I love uh your your definition calling it the christic covenant and the reason why that resonates with me so deeply is because i think anytime we use new covenant or even better covenant right it ties people to the old covenant and that old uh idea that the old covenant was like god's unattainable best you know and instead right. of it just being a, a mere subset in the context of humanity Humanity, that Jesus came to set a specific people group free from, uh, but that the Christic covenant, I'm going to start calling it that. Uh, I'll give you credit the first three times, my friend, but uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's all yours. I'll just but I own the website uh, just to let you know. Yes. Nice. As it should be. You should, you should crank a book out on that. But uh, yeah, the Christic covenant being inclusive of humanity and mm -hmm. also handling the sub issue of the, uh, the horrific old covenant. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, as I've observed, you know, churches for many, many years, wherever I go, I find that um, it seems that people have latched on to new covenant salvation by grace through faith. And that's about where their understanding and belief in the new covenant stops. Mm. But they're firmly anchored in an old covenant mindset when it comes to reference to the nature and the character of God. So they haven't Man. let Jesus fully clarify the father because we're always waiting for the hammer to drop. And yes. I, was in, I was in a church last summer. I was talking about the new covenant, and I finally, something just snapped in me. I'm looking out at this large congregation of people, and I just said, can anybody tell me in the last 2,000 years where God's dropped the hammer on humanity? Collectively, as a nation or as a people, like he did in the Old Testament. Like, and not just, not, not the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law from Exodus 19, the 1300 years, down to the point where Jesus said, it is finished. The last semblance of Old Covenant, you know, dying breath, of course, in AD 70. Once that's over and said and done with, 
and the the old covenant has a nail in the coffin in it once and for all. Where do we see that thus says the Lord, you know, I'm about to drop the hammer on you all now? I mean, where, where's that happening right now? So, so just going through and recognizing what the cross accomplished, what it opened us up to, where we can see in Ephesians says where, you know, in the ages to come, everything about Christ coming was so that in the ages to come that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. You know, it's like where, somebody preached that. But it doesn't sell books and it doesn't it doesn't ping podcasts and it doesn't get clicks. It's like the idea that that God dealt with the sin issue once and for all on the cross. And and now what we have, like I, the thing I probably get in trouble for, if, one of the top five things I get in trouble for more than anything is when I say I think Jesus dealt with the sin issue. What we have is an identity issue. We have an identity problem. Come on. And yes. um, you know, as long as we keep you know, we keep resurrecting the devil's darkness and demons that got defeated on the cross in order to prop up our ministries, you know, um, we're going to continue to confuse for the next 2000 years if need be, we're going to confuse the world as to the nature and the character of God, oh my gosh. you know, that kind of thing. Yes. So, so it sounds to me like that's, that's, that's been kind of your journey, which is so enrapturing to my spirit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time I use the word rapture, but here we are. Right. Max. So what, what's been the biggest pushback for you in mm. terms of when you go out and you preach, teach and whatnot, do you find yourself standing in front of audiences that just already agree with everything you say or, oh. or, or do you find yourself uh, getting those looks like the deer in the headlights and the aha moments and the furrowed brows all in the same crowd? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's certain topics that I simply don't teach outside of the context of the school because there's just no way. There's so many layers of foundation that are necessary and so many questions that have to be answered before the topics can even be broached that I try and I don't do a great job, but I try to not get into the stuff that wrecks people too much, you know, when I'm out traveling and speaking. I don't right. want to cause messes for pastors to clean up and you know, there's always going to be people there that are just there to try to find something to disagree with you on and miss what you say and all those things. Um, so that's wisdom. You know, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I think that I will say this, that 10 years ago when I started speaking on the original intent um, and, you know, that the kingdom is the extension of the heart and the authority of God from heaven on earth through us and kind of just trying to help people flip their paradigm from trying to get to heaven into uh, being ambassadors of heaven, uh, that I, I, I would get a lot of kickback. And that's totally stopped, you know, messages like that are, most people are really uh, taking them in and, and hungry for it, really. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as soon as you start leaning too hard into the consubstantiality, the nature of uh, a father being exactly like the nature of Jesus, that obviously brings up questions about Old Testament scriptures and uh, and the Old Covenant for sure, right? The Mosaic law and yeah. those types of things. And as soon as you, you know, uh, let's say you want to, you can even just quote a couple of scriptures out of Jeremiah uh, to kind of highlight that there may be some uh, some issues with uh, with the Mosaic law and the fact that it says Jesus, that, that Moses gave the law and Jesus gave grace, grace and, and truth. And we've all heard messages about the difference between grace and the law but the issue is, if there's a difference between truth and the law, then what does that say about the law? And so as soon as you start 
hinting at some of those things, people will get pretty riled up pretty quick because we have that Western Protestant evangelical literalist fundamentalist view of the infallible and errant inspired word of God and misappropriating the preeminent name of Jesus as the word and in doing so elevating our uh, bibliology to bibliolatry. But I'd say that's probably the touchiest <laughs> subject currently. <laughs> so I try not to like bust that out all the time, you know, unless I like really feel like the Lord's like, hey, sprinkle a little of that in there. Well, you know, it, what John said in John 1, 18, 6, in John 6, somewhere, and then in 1 John 4, he says three times, nobody has seen God. No one has seen God at any time, right? Come on, come on. And then, but he goes, well, yeah, but Jesus has revealed him. <laughs> now we see him clearly in Christ, you know? So that deals with a whole plethora of perspectives oh from, from the Old Testament, you know, where where we're getting news reports from people who who were looking, you know, through the cataracts of a covenant that that refused to even hear his voice. And and then but then you get to first John, I think it's first John four, uh, where he says, No one's seen God at any time. But he he appears when we love one another. As we love, he abides in us. And as we want love one another, he shows up to everybody. So it's all okay. So if Christ clarified the Father by his very essence, and the spirit of the resurrected Christ manifests in us when we put his love on display toward one another, those things bring clarity to the body of Christ. I feel like that seems super simple. If we had a priority in clearly representing the nature of the father ourselves, you know, rather than confusing humanity by misrepresenting the nature of the father ourselves, you know, and, uh, and when I'm living in a world where loving your enemies is no longer a virtue, um, it's like, that's the one word of Jesus. You can't pervert, you can't twist, but my goodness, we've gotten great at ignoring it. And uh, and I'm living in a world where where spiritually speaking, hating your enemies has become a higher virtue than loving them. Man, I, I think something's gone off the rails. So, you yeah. know. I agree. I feel like the uh, camp that usually uses the moniker Kingdom Stream, uh, and I would consider myself to be a part of that stream. However, I, I've discovered who I would call like the Trinitarian faith guys like Baxter Kruger, John Crowder. Mm -hmm. I've discovered that that camp has a better understanding of the nature of the King than the kingdom camp does. And that's an issue. And so I'm like, right. we've right. got to pull on their revelation of the nature <laughs> of the King and blend it with our understanding of the, of the nature of his ways, the mission of the kingdom. But we've got to tie those two together or else we see what we have seen for the last few years where uh, the quote unquote kingdom people, exactly what you're saying, are misrepresenting the nature of the king while trying to carry out his his mission. So it's this weird cognitive dissonance within the theology. And so you'll hear the same prophet say, you know, that God wants to bring a revelation of innovation in this sphere of influence so that people can experience his goodness and it better happen quick because otherwise he's going to come and kick their ass, right? So it's like, <laughs> why does the mission of the king sound so loving and healing, yeah. but the nature of the king sounds bipolar? And yeah. so we've got to blend those two, man. Yeah, I call, I call it the God's about to crowd. Yes. God's always about to something. Not, not really, no, no idea what he's doing in the moment. We're completely missing what he's doing in the moment, but he's about to do something any minute now. 
<laughs> and I, I, I swear, 10 years from now, you're going to show up to those same conferences and it's going to be God's about to. But I tell you, you, you can rile up a crowd at a conference with God's about to, you know, oh, yeah. and then just fill in the blank. It's like, you know, and whether it comes to pass or not, nobody ever thinks about remembers. And when it doesn't come to pass, nobody ever confronts. So we, we've given hey. the we've given the prophetic community of which I'm a part. We've given the prophetic community such a pass for so long. that We give them the freedom to lie freely for the purpose of promoting the ministries without going, hey, time oh, out. How about your last 10 prophecies that didn't come to pass? You know, can we just address those for half a second here? And then just deal with that in love. Like, you know, let's let, let's just talk for, let's just kind of come back to center here. If, if we're yeah. getting prophecy after prophecy after prophecy wrong with the God's about to crowd, you know, just for the purpose of riling up a group of people to continue to support your ministry, um, can, can we kind of come back to center and restore I mean, these are ministries that got to be, it's almost like got to be restored at some point. Otherwise, they're just going to continue to go out there and, you know, and fill the Elijah list with a whole bunch of nonsensical words. And here's the craziest part of it. As I'm sitting in on these prophetic roundtables, as they're talking about the God's about to thing, and I'm, I, I point out, guys, you understand you've lost credibility with an entire generation and you don't even know. And if you do know, most of you don't even care. And that's a huge problem. So... You know, it's gotten to the point now where I can't even talk prophetic, you know, outside of those super tight knit circles where you're, you know, it's the shofar flag crowd. You, you know, it's like, you know, the woe show crowd, whatever you want to call it. I, I, I love it. I mean, I, I traveled with that stuff for years. It was like a three ring circus going around. It was like conference junkies, you know, and uh, I'm like, oh, I know that person. They hit me three times in the head with the flag last conference. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, these people by, you know how how wild they are and you expect them to be that way but then you know you, you you sit down with that same crowd they found their own little tribe oh my gosh i love them they found a place to accept to be accepted and belong and, and all that stuff when you sit down and really talk about talk about the nuances of of trinitarian new covenant theology the reality of our union with god that there's no distance or separation you're one with god in christ by the power of the holy spirit let's look at you and they go Sometimes you get this thing where like, okay, more of that. Where do I hear that? So then I'll do what you just mentioned. I'll say, you know, well, ba Baxter, who's a dear friend, John is a friend. I, I consider him a good friend. I go, okay, well, here you got these guys over here. Um, then you've got, you know, you got your little South African contingent over here. You got your Francois and your Andres and you got these guys. And I know them very well and love, love, love those guys. And in some areas of nuances of theology and when, it, you know, pertaining to things in the future, you know, uh, you know, we may have some differences or whatnot, but when I sit down and I, I hear their heart, I'm like, okay, I get it. I can glean from, from these guys. Well, I'll bring that stuff up to people and they'll be like, oh, no, I don't listen to them, the universalists. Well, you right. hang out with them, so you must be one too. And I'm just sitting there going, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Do you get the? Do you get that that title, that that tag very oh, often? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it gets thrown my way for sure. And, uh, you know, I think Brad Jerzak's Her Gates Will Never Be Shut is probably the best uh, all-encompassing resource that I've found on that topic. So I try to point right. them in that direction. And I always ask them, you know, well, what, what's your, I don't consider myself to be a universalism, either a secular universalist or a Christian universalist. Right. I consider myself to be an eternal reconciliationist uh, <laughs> just to make things as complicated is... as possible. Yeah. But I, I, I try to ask them, what what's your definition of that? Because we probably don't share the same definition. And so if you're going to right. tag me as something and ask me, 
if I am that thing, I need to know what I'm responding to, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that's usually a fear driven question and, right. uh, or, or like a, 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 what they would call a justice driven question, yeah. uh, which is really a, uh, I would, I would call it something other than justice, but maybe vindictive, uh, driven, right. uh, you know, question, but yeah, well, I understand. I understand the heart behind much of it because, you know, if you if you grew up in an evangelical fundamentalist world, you're grabbing a hold of that, you know, and and um, you know, and you're you're looking for you know God to come and separate the sheep from the goats, and uh, the rich man and Lazarus and all this stuff, and you're going, okay, we got to figure out who's in, who's out, make sure who's in gets in the right way. But if a person genuinely, if a tr person genuinely believes that, you know, if I don't get somebody to say this prayer, they're going to be lost for all eternity, and their blood's on my hands. And they have absolutely anchored deep in that. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's all on your work to, to get these people in. Then, then anything that comes against that is going to be seen. Or and I, I get it. Again, I'm, I'm just saying when I hear it, I my heart breaks for these people because I'm like, look, I I understand. You see, you see the message that I'm putting out there of the goodness of God as a threat to the gospel. Right. From where I'm standing you know, a fear-based ideology that gets people uh, rushing to an altar, you know, because they're terrified of what God's about to do to them, right. you know, is a threat to the gospel. So we're both coming at it from the exact same motivation. We see the other as a threat to the gospel, you know? And and so right. it can it can result in people butting heads, being unable to the fellowship, and so I've tried, gosh, Dub, I need, I need, I need some wisdom on this from you too. And I think this will be a larger conversation that we may end up having with like a, a bunch of people at some point, but you know, when it comes to this recognizing these people aren't coming at us from, from a place of satanically driven, you know, uh, a hatred for the Lord. I mean, they genuinely love the Lord and defending the faith in a sense, I think is exactly what they feel like they're doing. You know, and then we become the enemies of that. And we talk about the finished work of the cross. You have these knee-jerk reactions, people. So when I said, like I sat down with a pastor a while back who asked me this question about the universalism thing. And, and I said, um, you know, there's three kinds of universalism. And you have universal atonement, which is largely considered orthodoxy, right? And uh, yes. Christ died once for all. Universal reconciliation, which for many people is sort of on the fence, you know, that uh, God was in Christ reconciling the entire cosmos to himself. But I think that is largely becoming orthodoxy to the point where most people can believe that. And then I said, then you have universal salvation where everybody's in, can't do anything about it. And then the element of, of will, choice, all that stuff has been taken out of the way. Um, you know, even John Crowder will say God will honor a person's will to self-destruct. And I agree. I'm, I agree with that. It certainly feels as, as though scripturally in, in life that seems to be the case. But... I'm right there with you. Universal reconciliation, 100%. God looks at humanity because of what Christ has done, goes, we're good. And the problem is the majority of humanity looks back at God and goes, we're not. And exactly. and, and I, I go, why are they saying that to the very God who's trying to redeem them, who would sacrifice himself in his own blood at the hands of his own creation to break down the barrier of distance and separation and make us his home as we're his home and create this reconciled union. Why would anybody say no to that? And the only answer I can come up with, apart from demonic influence, 
is that his nature and character has been so misrepresented by those who name his name to the world that they don't want any part of the God that we're putting out there uh, and inviting people to come and lay their lives down to say yes to. They don't know it's an invitation to a celebration. They think it's an ultimatum. Right. You know? oh and uh, and so, and then I, I was in one pastor's group one time where I got the universalism question. Pastor gets up and says, you know, no matter how much you slice and dice, I know you're a universalist. All right. You can try to explain it away all you want, but, you, you know, I, I can see it. And, you know, and uh, really felt like I was being genuinely deceptive, you know, by, you know, by not just putting it out there. And it made me so angry um, that I heard spill out of my mouth. Well, everybody's a universalist. And he says, well, I'm not a universalist. And I said, well, you believe that Adam's sin condemned you and you weren't even here. You know, nobody asked you to say the sinner's prayer so you could become a good sinner like Adam and receive Adam's sin into your life. You never oh took a sinning God. discipleship class. Adam's sin condemned you without your permission. It was a free gift of grace imparted to you apart from your works, right? We, we all believe that. It's modern evangelicalism is built on the foundation of something called Adamic universalism. And everybody believes it. We preach sure. it and we absolutely anchor our belief system in, in Adamic universalism. But Paul has the audacity in Romans 5 to tell us that whatever Adam did to condemn us, Christ did more to redeem us. So I don't know what you want to do with that, but the reality is, is unless we be, become honest with ourselves and realize the entirety of Western theology, evangelical theology, is absolutely built on the rock-solid foundation of universalism, then we're not going to be able to have an honest conversation about the goodness of God. <laughs> so, Nicely done. What was uh, his response? Uh, he sat down. There was a lot of murmuring, and and about a half of the people applauded, and some people got up and left. And I thought, that's it. This is this is the civil war in the body of Christ, and that is it's over the goodness of God. There's an element that we have come to believe that has so anchored us in the power of sin that we've created limits for the power of righteousness. Wow. Well said. So, you know, when I hear, when I hear you, I see your posts, I'm going, here's somebody who's kicking the doors open just <laughs> a little more. You know, Bill Johnson did it for us in such a big way, you know, by talking about on earth as it is in heaven and drawing people's attention back to that. Yeah. But um, man, I just, I mean, where, where do you see this thing going for you? I mean the trajectory that you're on. What are you? Do you see a momentum increasing? What What do you see? Yeah, for sure. I think that um, in my mindset, I believe that religion is on the way out, and that the political mindset will be close to follow. Uh, and the only thing left at that point is the mindset of Christ. And so I think that the sons and daughters of God are becoming increasingly dissatisfied with the garbage that religion has been feeding them mm -hmm. and that more and more people are becoming hungry for the truth. I think that we'll see um, an intersection with the deconstructionists. Deconstructionists are just looking for truth and they're not finding yeah. it. They're not, their questions are not being dignified as valid mm -hmm. questions, even though the majority of their questions are valid questions. 
and they're being fielded by people who don't have the answer. And so people are throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But I actually think that the dissatisfaction that is leading to the deconstruction movement is actually from the Lord. And I think that the dissatisfaction is going to be met with the satisfaction of good theology, and we'll see it swing into uh, a really a really strong shift into good theology. And uh, yeah, I'm, man, I'm super hopeful for the world, man. You can't get me down. I think the uh, the kingdom has been advancing, <laughs> yeah. and the uh, the gates of hell that Western Protestant evangelical fundamentalist literalism have uh, have operated as for a couple of hundred years are about to be knocked off the hinges, man. And I think we're going to get back to some original orthodoxy in our uh, theology, specifically around the nature of the king. And I think that's what's been missing. I think it's so strange, but I, I believe this is true. People have been catching the heart of what God wants to do while still missing the revelation of the heart of who God is. And I think when those two things get uh, snapped together... It's going to be a really rapid turnaround uh, for the betterment of the whole world. I'm I'm super jacked about it. And so that's an amazing phrase. People have been catching the heart of what God wants to do while missing the heart of who God is. And I'm going to chew on that one for a while. That's a great. That's a really great phrase. Uh, I'm going to borrow that three yeah, times. Yeah, credit. Three times credit. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, man, I think that uh, like Western Protestant evangelicalism is like comfortable with Jesus. I think mm -hmm. the charismatic crowd is comfortable with Holy Spirit. And so that allows us as, as believers to navigate in some ways that are healthy. But because we haven't revisited the nature of the Father and agreed with Jesus concerning the nature of the Father, uh, that's where the disconnect is coming in. Mm. And so uh, we'll agree Jesus is the King of Kings, and and we'll even be able to tap into and begin to prophesy what Holy Spirit authentically wants to do upon the earth. Right. But as right. soon as we pull the picture of the Father into it, things get wonky super fast, man. Yeah. And it's it's like the fear of the Lord thing, bro. Like every January, all the prophets are going to say, this is the year of returning to the fear of the Lord. And I'm like, yes, it is. Because <laughs> the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. When did the fear of the Lord enter the picture? At the fall, wisdom exited and the fear of the Lord entered. God wants to call us back into a conversation about the fear of the Lord so he can say, fear not, so we can be reacquainted with the wisdom of God. Uh, but it's always in charismatic circles. It's about fear and trembling and right. like all of this garbage that is not displayed in the life of Christ, is not seen prior to the fall, and is not seen in the ultimate destiny of Revelation 21 and 22. And so if you're going to try to tell me that something is a part of the nature of God that is not found in those three places, man, I'm not in, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out, bro. Well, you know, when Paul prays for the church in Ephesus and he says in Ephesians 1 17, I pray that God would grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Come on. Just amazing that he doesn't include fear. You know? Hey, let's go. <laughs> oh my gosh. And how many times do people, ex people, not Jesus, how many times do people express fear towards God in scripture? And every time he's like, hey, fear not. Fear not. Right. <laughs> but we have that weird, like, that old mindset trying to hang on like if, if yeah. they can keep you afraid of the father then you'll never experience all the benefits of his inheritance man sure sure well it's you know this is where the fear of the lord takes us that place where we're just kind of always in that state of trembling you know years ago i was preaching this message called trembling at the goodness of god 
um, where where I think it was uh, Hosea 2 and 3, the end of chapter 2 and the end of chapter 3, where God prophesies, I will show compassion on people who haven't earned it. And I will say that you are my people, and they will respond and say, you are my God. And a nation will come trembling at the goodness of the Lord in the last days. And I'm like, you want to talk about trembling and last days? Here's the last days message nobody ever preaches. No. And that is, there's a prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled and revealed that entire nations will see such a goodness of God that will actually make them go weak in the knees. And they will come to the Lord. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a drawing to, it's the Exodus 19. Yes, you, know, so you as kings and priests come up to me and they go, no, we never want to hear you talk again. It's like, it's the reissuing of the invitation, you know, and here we are in this Christic covenant world where we're in Christ seated in this eternal group hug with the Trinity, which, which I think is, this is one of the reasons why Dub getting the father's perspective or the, of, of the father's nature accurate to people is so important because they're being invited into the family into this into this inclusive embrace in the trinity and if you believe the father's you know just about to smack you down at any moment man you don't want to get within arm's reach of that oh my gosh <laughs> and that was my story because i i got saved through the bad news right hey you're a sinner you're going to hell like god's mad at you because you're a sinner he would like to throw you in hell luckily jesus threw the block right no daddy took your punishment yeah. upon him and now god can either stand you or he's like confused because jesus's blood is smeared on you so he's not sure is, is that jesus right and so you know i would just always try to keep jesus in between me and the father yeah. right yeah i was cool with jesus but man like whew, i don't want to be in a room i don't want to be left alone in a room with dad without <laughs> jesus right when i caught um seek first his righteousness and I was like, my oh, my goodness. gosh, like that God doesn't have right standing with himself. God has right standing within himself. And so if I've been given his righteousness, I don't have right standing with God. I have right standing in God. But if I think that he's a domestic abuser, then why would I want to experience that? It's it's crazy. Yeah. God doesn't have right standing with himself. He has right standing within himself. Man, man, that's all right. That's another one I'm going to borrow. That's good. Man, and, I, and I would say that is the, the <laughs> premier excellent. upgrade of the Christic covenant to the Adamic covenant. So yes. like for me, sometimes people don't like this, but they're all right. Holy Spirit's called the comforter for a reason, right? <laughs> like I get the, I get the old, I get all the other covenants and that's cool. And I'm glad Jesus, you know, took care of all that. But for me, it's like free fall post new heaven, new earth, right? Like, and then everything in between is just about the kingdom, about humanity. And so before the fall, the man, the woman had right standing with God externally, and that's beautiful. But when we stepped into Christ, we received the upgrade from right standing with God to right standing in God. And so for me, Jesus came to reset everything back to the original with upgrades, and that's for all of humanity. And so that's really where I'm, I'm trying to, you know, uh, teach my students, you know, to begin to think of it from that perspective. What is Father God's heart for all of humanity? What is uh, the way of the kingdom for all of humanity? And let's not get caught up in the weeds of, of, uh, of the law, whether it's old covenant law or old covenant law masquerading as quote unquote new covenant law in Western Protestant evangelicalism, right? Like 
right. man, it's about inheritance. It's about orphans coming home. That's it. Like, I don't know. I feel like we're in a new reformation. Yes. And, uh, do you, do you consider yourself a reformer at this point in history? I do for <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm uh, awesome. kind of big on that. <laughs> yeah. What, what is it when you, when you hear the term reformation, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So for me, uh, and specifically I've, I, I tried to focus on kingdom reformers, right? And so, uh, what I'm training people in, in school of kingdom is how do you identify the original what was God's original design for whatever sphere of culture you're called to? And how can you be an ambassador of that original intent and design on the earth in an invitational way uh, where you infiltrate culture in the way that antibiotic infiltrates a sick body to bring it back to health, not in this warfare mode that I see, uh, sadly, some of the kingdom stream slipping into where it's it really ends up being domination rather than dominion mm -hmm. for me dominion is bring any any place where there's chaos bringing it into order so that all of humanity can experience the goodness of god and that we're yeast in a dough and yeast can work in any direction we're not having to get to the top of a mountain and legislate and force people to do moral things right right that's right. kind of the mindset so that reforming to me is how can we identify God's original plan for education, for family, for whatever sphere? And how can we respond to that original design and be ambassadors of that rather than reacting to the current flaws in whatever system is presented to us? And how can we do that in a powerful, invitational, Christ-like manner uh, without you know, feeling the need to demonize the darkness? It's like it's only dark because we're not in there and we're the light of the world. So right. I think for too long, we've done a great job of uh, pointing the finger at, at sectors of society. Oh, well, the beast is going to have an electrochip. So let's demonize technology. Everybody <laughs> exit technology. Oh, technology is getting really dark. See, we called it. No, you caused it by removing the light of Christ, which you are from that, from that sphere of influence. And so I love how Ryan, he always says um, <clears throat> that the, the enemy is not powerful. Your agreement is. We didn't inherit a battle from Jesus. We inherited a victory. So we simply show up to enforce the already victory of King Jesus. And when I was coming up, you know, I had bad theology. I received some bad training, you know, so I would go in, okay, who's the strong man? You know, probably gonna have to get in a day early and war all night, you know, and all that garbage. And then when I caught, oh, like Jesus not only defeated the enemy, but he made a mockery of him on the cross. And bro, you know, I grew up in Oak Cliff. I've been beat up. And the only thing worse than being beat up is when you get made fun of afterwards, right? I was like, so it like really hit me that time. I was like, Jesus defeated the enemy and made fun of him. And then I caught, oh, I'm an ambassador. And as I do work in the UN, I have friends who are ambassadors and they're not, they're executive branch. They're not military. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, and so that like shifted everything for me. I just began to agree with I'm an ambassador and, you know, the kingdom of light system of darkness are both after the same thing, our agreement. And they're asking us the same question. Who do you think you are? And so when I used to be asked in the spirit realm, who do you think you are? And I'm a warrior for Christ. Well, what comes to me? Warfare. But when I get asked, who are you? And now I'm like, oh, I'm an ambassador. Then the only thing that comes to me is opportunity to legislate. And to shift culture. And it's amazing. And I sleep awesome on the road now. <laughs> and so I, I get it when people who are stuck in the old model, like their agreement has produced 
evidence that is hard for them to let go of, you mm -hmm. know, but, but it's, it's just your agreement has produced something that is not, it may be a reality, but it's not the truth. And so if we will just shift our agreement to the truth, the reality that we experience will shift and change too. At least that's my personal testimony. And I love it because I still travel with some guys that are kind of old school like that. Dude, we'll come down to breakfast, bro. That Sometimes they're looking rough, bro. And I'm just like, cool as a fan, dude. I slept awesome. Like I'm ready. ready. They were up trying to bind the strong man, man. I was taking a nap. But, uh, yeah, just make yeah. sure you collect all your toenails out of the uh, wastebasket. You know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you ever heard that one? It's like, don't leave any anything of yourself behind. Because of the, the witchcraft. Uh, right, exactly. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, like super oh not worried about my that. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just figure if anything any part of who we are ought to just emanate with the nuclear hum of the goodness of God in such a way that nobody can touch anything of us physically without just getting zapped by the light of the world. <laughs> Bro, I love talking to you, man. This is so, this is so good. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Same, man. Super glad to connect finally, for sure. Yeah, yeah, we got to do this again. Thanks, man. Let's do it. Man, I just love talking to that guy. Uh, Dub Alexander is a gift to the body of Christ. And to get more information on what he's doing and to be a part of his school, which I highly recommend, go to schoolofkingdom.com. Think school of rock, but then replace it with kingdom. Schoolofkingdom.com. And uh, keep up with what we're doing here on the podcast Every single week, we're putting together some new ideas, new thoughts, new fresh goodness having to do with the Christic covenant, the freedom we have in Christ, the reality of our union with God, our reconciled rest in Christ is a reality that you are in right now. Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life that they may know the Father and believe in Jesus Christ whom he sent. Can you know the Father? Yes. Can you believe in Jesus? Yes. Can you have a relationship with God by the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Then eternal life has begun for you already. To discover more about this, go to BillVanderbush.com. Click on the Bible studies, the online Bible studies. Download Hebrews, Ephesians, James. We go verse by verse through these from a new covenant perspective and unveil the reality of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. The finished work matters for every one of you who are listening today. If you don't know Jesus, this is a day to say, Jesus could give you my life. And through these podcasts and many others like it, you'll discover knowledge about God. But the most important thing is learning to love, learning to love him and learning to walk in love toward one another. And that's really what the gospel is all about. Us reflecting love back to this world. Oh, well, let me just hit you up with uh, one other thought. The beginning of this podcast, I rocked you out with some killer guitar riffs from a song uh, from a young lady who's become family to us, Lacey Sturm. She's on tour right now with her band Flyleaf for the first time in 11 years. And we are so, so, so excited for those guys. I just love them all. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And I encourage you to say a prayer for those guys while they're out influencing influencers, becoming and being loved while they're in the middle of uh, a landscape of musical creativity. Uh, they're on the road with corn and a whole bunch of other folks out there. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry about it. Just pray for Lacey. That's all I'm asking. 
and Lacey's family is such, such uh, dear, dear friends of ours and family to us. And so that's why I encourage all of you guys to stand with us as we stand with her. And uh, wow, what else could I say to you today? Here's a fun testimony. We were just at Thrive Church in Ithaca, New York, uh, with our dear friends Brian and Hannah. Hannah is the pastor of the church. And we were at an Indian restaurant for lunch. I mentioned that because I love Indian food. If you know me, you know that's true. And some dear friends of ours came into the restaurant. And uh, Tom and Jordy have this incredible little ministry where she brings a harp pretty much everywhere the Lord tells her to do it. And she sits down with this harp, a small lap harp, as she just holds it uh, on her lap and prophetically plays over people. Well, it stops the whole restaurant. Everybody just wants to turn and see what's going on. And so the owner of the restaurant came out and she asked if she could play a song that Jesus was putting on her heart, spontaneous prophetic song over this person. And this lady sat down, recorded it with her phone, and was just in awe. And then afterwards, asked her what she was feeling and sensing as the song was playing. And Tom got a chance to share the gospel with her. It was one of the most unique ministry opportunities I've ever seen. It wasn't a gimmick. It was just somebody with a gift offering their gift and bringing Jesus into the conversation through the grace and the gift that was on their life. She's an incredible talent. So listen, here's the deal. You all have talents. You all have gifts. And as you exercise those gifts in the eyes of the world, you might you might be shocked that people begin to wonder, where did you get that talent, that grace, and that gift? And you can take all the credit for it, or you can draw people's attention to Christ. And I was so honored today to watch that happen in one of the most creative ways I've ever seen. Hope it encourages your heart. And I pray for each one of you that God's grace would manifest strong in every conversation, in every meal, in every communion, around every table. May the Lord be present with and within, upon and around you, in every way. Amen. Have a great day. See you next time.